following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What's keeping you from being the best you can be? Whatever the issue, you can clear that obstacle and come out swinging. Welcome to Be the Best You Can Be with Dr. Linda Sanicola. On today's show, we will feature guest experts who can bring you the tools and ideas that you need to take the next step to your personal success. Now, here is Dr. Linda Sanicola. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. For those of you who were listening last week, we started a conversation on healing our communities. And today we're going to continue that theme with my guest, Dr. Georgia Leap. Let me tell you a bit about her. Dr. Leap has been a professor at the University of California, Los Angeles, Luskin School of Public Affairs since 1992. As an anthropologist and recognized expert in gangs, violence, and trauma, she has worked both nationally and internationally in violent and post-war settings all of her career. Dr. Leap applies a multidisciplinary community-based approach to her research and developmental efforts. Her current work focuses on gangs and youth development in multicultural settings, criminal justice and prison reform, and the dilemmas faced by individuals re-entering society after incarceration, including women, a group often overlooked. She is also the executive director Health and Social Justice Partnership and serves as policy advisor on gangs and youth violence for Los Angeles County, as an expert reviewer on gangs for the National Institute of Justice, and as the clinical director of the Watts Regional Strategy for the Los Angeles Mayor's Office. In addition, she is now the qualitative research director for the Los Angeles Mayor's Office Gang Reduction Youth Development Program. That's a mouthful. <laughs> she also she has also been appointed to the State of California Board of State and Community Corrections Standing Committee on Gang Issues. Drawing upon her research, Dr. Leap has provided commentary on numerous television, radio, and newspaper stories about gangs. In 2009, she began a five-year longitudinal study of homeboy industries, focusing on the life histories of program participants as they encounter the dual challenges of leaving gang life and re-entering mainstream society. This work has extended to assessing their social enterprise model, concentrating on the Homegirl Cafe and its training program for women. Along with this work, she offers expert testimony on the impact of violence and trauma in death penalty and capital cases. As part of her action research efforts, Dr. Leap has authored numerous reports, articles, and book chapters, as well as the book, Jumped In, What Gangs Taught Me About Violence, Love, Drugs, and Redemption, 
and most recently the book Project Fatherhood, A Story of Courage and Healing in One of America's Most Troubled Communities. Welcome, Dr. Leap. Thank you so much. You know, as I read that, I thought, my goodness, this woman is so busy. Does she sleep? (laughs) (laughs) It's questionable sometimes. (laughs) I bet. So um, tell me, what what drew you to this work? How did you get started? Well, really, I began as a very young social worker in Watts in South Los Angeles in the late 1970s and into the 1980s. And I noticed how predominant the gang problem was in South L.A. and how much it shaped the lives of individuals and families, and I wanted to learn more. And that's really where it began. I later went to work overseas for the United Nations, first in Bosnia, then in Kosovo, And when I returned back home, I wanted to sort of understand about what I saw as a war going on in my own backyard in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And that's really where my very, very deep research began. Wow. And that's such a, you know, it it sounds like, of course, if you're going to study war, you're going to go to Bosnia or, you know, wherever. But you're absolutely right. It's in our backyard. And so many of us don't know about that. No, we don't. And I think that that's a combination of lacking the knowledge and also sometimes not wanting to know how close to home this problem is. Right. I'm sure I'm sure that's true as well. So I thought maybe we could start with some myth busting, if you will. Um, can you tell us really a little bit about what's the myth versus the reality of gangs and violence? Well, I think there, first of all, there's a huge myth that gangs are constant, basically and constantly violent, and they're always engaged in violent behavior, and everybody involved in gangs sort of collectively participates in murderous rampages, mm-hmm. and this just isn't the truth, and it's also, you know, gangs are composed of murderers and very violent people. The fact of the matter is, is over the years, what I've observed is there's maybe 2 to 3% of the individuals who comprise gangs who truly do represent a threat to society. They are violent. They are antisocial. They seem to have no sense of limits at all. But then there's that other 97, 98% that we really do need to understand that are often individuals that come out of extreme poverty, They do not have a family structure or a support network that they need. And for them, gangs often represent a combination family. And here's the important part. They're an employment agency. Uh, I I work in marginalized neighborhoods where there's sometimes an unemployment rate as high as 50%. And for people without a job, gangs represent a way to make money. And that's survival. I mean, really, that's what that is, uh, the elements that you're describing. That's how someone survives and how someone makes a connection in whatever way they perceive it's a connection to their community. That's correct. And I don't think we should see it in terms of good and bad. I think we need to see it in terms of a structure. Children Mm -hmm. need structure. Adolescents desperately need structure, even though they fight against it. And surprisingly, gangs present a structure. Now, it's not the kind of structure we want to adhere to because they have all kinds of sort of norms and rules about respect and disrespect and being loyal to the gang and proving your loyalty. And many of them do result in criminal behaviors. However, in the absence of any structure, human beings will cling to something 
that gives them a sense of how they're going to get through the, their day and even provides them, strange as this sounds, with a sense of purpose. Absolutely. I think that, that that must certainly be true because at some level, that's what we all need. Yes. And, and, and we seek it. We, we seek it. We crave it. We want it. And as I said, you, you'll see adolescents, having raised one of my own, mm-hmm. you'll see them rebel against some of the limits we place on them. But if you place those, take those limits away, they're not comfortable. They want them right. even as they fight against them. And this is what happens with gangs. Gangs provide a structure, and they also provide a code. Yes, the sort of rules of living that uh, we all have to learn in some way or another. We learn from our family, from our community, from our church, whatever it may be. Yes. Yes. And I would say that the rules of living within the gang, while very few of us would ever choose to adhere to something like this, they're not black and white. They're not that different from the rules, say, for example, the things that I've taught to my own child. Now, I'm not going to tell my child to go lay down her life for a gang, Mm -hmm. but I hope that I've given my own child, and I think most of us look at our children and our loved ones, and we have a sense of loyalty. We have a sense of belonging to one another. We have a sense of caring about one another. And to the extent gangs provide that, along with a way of making money, Mm-hmm. Their lure is very seductive. I can only imagine, because if they don't have that, what do they have? They have yes. nothing. That's and, right. And no one wants nothing. And nothing leaves, leads to only even more destructive behaviors. Right. There's no it hope. Also, the other thing to remember, and this was, this was one of my early lessons when I worked in South Los Angeles, is many of the children and the youth that I saw came out of families where there had been abuse and trauma, whether it was domestic violence, whether it was child neglect, whether it was child abuse. And children and youth, and in fact adults who have been traumatized, quite frequently make poor choices, Mm -hmm. or they suffer depression, or they suffer the problems that lead them into the destructive behavior of the gang. And it, it becomes also a respite from the trauma they have encountered. Now, there's a little problem there in that belonging to a gang may create more trauma. Most people aren't thinking about that when they feel the call of the gang or when they hear the call of the gang. Well, and certainly adolescents wouldn't be thinking that far into the future. No, no, they don't. Yeah, yeah. And and I think we know that trauma changes the brain and the the young brain is still growing. So there's not really much of a way in that structure, if you will, to to intervene for positive change in the moment. No. In fact, what neuroscience is teaching us is the the capacity to make decisions and to sort of exercise good judgment is not possible in brain development until an individual is approximately 24 years old. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the gang members that I work with and that I run into are shy of 24 years old. They're often as as young as 12 and 13 years old when they begin gang life. Right. And they simply don't have the brain development to even make a rational decision or to exercise good judgment at that point. And when you've got the gang standing in as a surrogate father or a surrogate mother, there's bound to be problems. Yes, I guess that it's a recipe for disaster as far as that goes. And it's very sad because here's the other irony. Many young people 
age out of gang life once they hit their 20s. It's a funny kind of a game of chicken. It's almost like, will I get caught? Will I do something wrong? Will I go to prison? Or will I sort of manage to slip through the cracks, get to my 20s, and then leave that life behind? Mm-hmm. And it's much more nuanced than we think. People, people have, as strange as this sounds, they have memories, often fond memories of gang membership when they are in their 20s and their 30s. I would say, you know, I look back at my adolescent years or even my early 20s, and I have fond memories. I have some embarrassment. I made some poor judgments, but I was able to move on to adulthood. For many young gang members, this is not that different. They do, in fact, age out of gang membership. So in a way, what you're saying is is so many of the needs and the development that we see in gang members completely parallels those of us who live outside that environment. Exactly right. It's not that different. It's a matter of degree. It's not a qualitative difference. It's actually a quantitative difference. Mm-hmm. I think most individuals who were adolescents would have to admit they probably did something a little bit outside the law when they were adolescents, it's, even if it was having alcohol before they were 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Or speeding. Um, <laughs> there you go. Or driving without a license. Or, you know, there's a whole long list of things we see as harmless. Gang behaviors are just farther along the continuum, and that is the most authentic thing I can say. And Mm -hmm. the fact that this is a waiting game, the fact that many youth age out is another sort of reality that mythology does not cover. Mythology says, once a gang member, always a gang member. Mm -hmm. Reality says, you get to your 20s, if you can find a job, and you sort of begin a family structure, you will age out fascinating information and we're getting ready to take our first short break now and we're going to go to break with a a little bit of an old soul song called color him father and that reminded me of dr leap's current work on fatherhood we'll be right back with my guest dr georgia leap Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you happy with your financial life? Or are you like most people, underachieving with your income, working your tail off without the rewards you deserve? Are you going through a boom or bust cycle over and over again, hitting an inner set point? Perhaps you are struggling with the same old issues over and over again. Are your finances a source of peace or stress? Is your money the root of your problems or the path to your freedom and empowerment? If you answered yes to stress and problems, then it's time to ask yourself one more question. What else is possible? Sign up for Dr. Linda Sanicola's six-week Tapping into Wealth Coaching program by visiting drsanicola.com. This program is designed to help you break through your unconscious wealth set points and experience the true freedom, creativity, enthusiasm, and rewards you were meant to have. Get started today at drsanicola.com. 
That's drsanicola.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Be the Best You Can Be with Dr. Linda Sanicola. If you want more information about Dr. Sanicola or our program, please visit drsanicola.com. Again, that's drsanicola.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. Today we're visiting with my guest, Dr. Georgia Leap, who is educating us on gangs, violence, and hopefully some of the healing elements that we can understand about how to move forward. So I thought, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about that particular aspect, because I know you've done a lot of work with homeboy industries and homegirl industries, and um, can you tell us a little bit about what you've learned about how how human lives are transformed? Yes, it's actually very simple and yet very difficult to implement. And what I've learned over the years, primarily at Homeboy, but in other projects I've been involved with as well, is that it all the answer is always within a relationship. Uh-huh. It's not even the particular service that is offered. It is the kind of sharing and relationship that occurs in a healing community, like Homeboy Industries or like the Homegirl Cafe. Um, and what happens with young gang members, and I do want to say both female as well as male, we have to mm-hmm. look at both sexes, What happens is if they are in a healing community like Homeboy, they will engage in relationships and build connections with people who have had the same experiences they have and have come out on the other side and Mm -hmm. help them, Mm -hmm. as well as relationships with others who have not, who stand as role models, who stand as people that they can depend on as well. But what I am utterly convinced of after all the years that I have spent in the field is that it is the relationship that makes the difference. And I said it's not about do you have cognitive behavioral programming versus do you have reality programming. All of that is extremely important, and you need that kind of approach and those strategies. But more than anything, it is the relationships that are built that is crucial. Father Greg Boyle likes to say, Community trumps gang every time, Mm -hmm. and I agree with him. And I would add on to that, that when you take the relationship with the gang away, the only thing that's going to work is if you replace it with another relationship. Mm -hmm. And that is the simple reality. And and there have been a, a lot of research done, there's been a lot of research done on what makes therapy work. And, and fundamentally, I think that that is a similar concept. It's the relationship. It, it reminds me of an old saying about people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Absolutely correct. Absolutely yeah. positively correct. And I I do come from that, that sort of educational perspective where you had to declare a school of thought. You had to say, Mm -hmm. you know, are you psychodynamic? Are you Uh Freudian? Are you this? Are you that? It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that doesn't matter, surprisingly, and this was a revelation for me, was it also doesn't matter if you were a former gang member or you were in the life or you were, you know, a small Greek woman from UCLA, Mm -hmm. in my case. It did not matter if you demonstrated genuine empathy and caring 
and gang members have crap detectors. They know mm-hmm. who's real. They know who's not. And one of them mm-hmm. told me, I don't care if you're not black. You're all right. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. does not matter. What matters is the depth and the sincerity of the relationship. Right. And that, you know, that's so powerful, I think, for all of us. That's not specific to gangs. That's for all of us, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I, I think that's a lesson that we all need to carry with us. Because I do think there's such a huge emphasis on placed on, for example, with raising children. How many, you know, what options do we provide to them? What resources do we provide to them? How do we help them with getting through school? How do we help them with planning for college or whatever they might be doing? That's not it. It's mm-hmm. really any in rearing children and being part of a family and being part of a community. What really matters is the relationships you build, and the attachments that you make. True, true. It's so powerful. It, it, it may look different in gang life. It may look different, but it's the same. Well, but they, here's the deal. When you drill down and you ask gang members what they want, you hear things like, I want to have a family. I want my kids to go to college. I want to own a Mercedes. I want to own my own house. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not a Mercedes. Maybe it's something else. I want to own a you know a high quality car. Their dreams and their desires are no different than any of the other dreams or desires that I've That's heard right. from individuals, whether it's my undergraduates at UCLA or members of my own family. They want mm-hmm. to have a family. They want to own a home. They want their kids to go to college, and maybe they want to indulge in a nice car. Mm-hmm. That's the American dream, strangely it is. enough. It really it is. is. And you close your eyes and you think, who am I talking to? Mm-hmm. Is it a gang member or is it a UCLA undergraduate or is it a mm-hmm. member of the LAPD? And someone mm-hmm. might say, how is this woman linking them all in the same group? And I could say, quite easily, because mm-hmm. their dreams and their hopes are the same. Right. That's so powerful, so true. And, you know, I know the title of your first book was Jumped In. What was that like to join that community and to be accepted? It was. It was and continues to be very tricky because there is there's huge suspicion. And there. I was also under, and I write about this in that book, um, which, by the way, uh, is still available, and all the proceeds benefit Homeboy Industries. I will put that little plug in there. Wonderful. Um, But what was tricky about my particular circumstance is that uh, I was married, I'm still married, to a man who at the time, he's now retired, but at the time he was a deputy chief in the LAPD. And the minute that was known sort of throughout the gang network, I immediately came under huge suspicion and was seen as very, very dangerous because I was connected to the LAPD. Um, And in point of fact, certain gang members or former gang members would plant stories with me, mainly active gang members, to see if I would tell my husband. And I I was tested. And I also had to have people within the gang community who would vouch for me and who would say, no, you can trust her. But mm-hmm. it was it was tricky to negotiate. It's different now. My husband has been retired over eight years and mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> has sort of had a whole different life after having been in the LAPD. But it's always tricky. I think one thing that helps me is that I am older, and a lot mm-hmm. of them will call me mama or will sort of see me as a, 
a mother figure or as an auntie, who, mm-hmm. and they kind of fit me into their lives in that way. But mm-hmm. they take the lead. I don't tell them they must accept me. I listen to them, and mm-hmm. that has been critical. Mm-hmm. And you, you use the word tricky. I heard tightrope, <laughs> you know. Yes. Uh, uh, that's what it, it seemed to me in those early attempts, I would imagine. Yes. It, it's, that word? But you have to know, here's the deal. It's, it's tricky, it's a tightrope, but you're not, you've got a net under the tightrope. Tight and what I would say the net is you must know your purpose. You must mm-hmm. know your purpose. And for me, my purpose was compelling. My purpose was to bear witness to the lives of these individuals. It was not to tell them what to do. It was to listen to what they had to tell me. And that's mm-hmm. why the first book, the subtitle, is What Gangs Taught Me. It's mm-hmm. not what I, I, I taught them. That was very, very deliberate. It was what they taught me and, frankly, continue to teach me every single day of my life, even now, to this day. And, you know, really, that's such a, a beautiful sentiment, I think. You know, if, if I just let myself resonate to those words, it really is. And that's what I think if if we have an open heart as well as an open mind, <laughs> that's what we learn from. That's how yeah. we can, you know. Yeah. And I also think we have to leave ourselves open to the experience of it instead of thinking we already know and we already mm-hmm. understand. I think that we've got to see we do not know and that it's a mystery that we are constantly, it's constantly unfolding for all of us mm-hmm. in, at all mm-hmm. times. Right. You know, it's, it sounds like you must have really developed some very profound and powerful relationships as well. I have, and they have been among the most meaningful relationships of my life. And quite candidly, they continue to be. And mm-hmm. and they give to me in a way that it's not always easy to articulate, but the gang members and the former gang members that I have built relationships with and continue to know really have changed my life forever. And, and sometimes painfully, and sometimes mm-hmm. painfully. I don't want it to make it sound like, oh, it's always just so wonderful. It's not. But truly in ways that I have learned and gained for, gained from so much. And, you know, I don't know if you've had this experience, and certainly I, I don't have much experience in that community. I do some work that takes me sort of on the fringes occasionally, but... Mm-hmm. Sometimes I see things that are just so painful to see. Yes, yes. it's so painful, and and uh, when you at least when I've experienced that, then I've had to deal with that sense of frustration and powerlessness, and wondering not only what can I do to help this particular individual, but what about the, the community wide? You know, what are interventions that are possible because. It's it's sometimes it's just quite painful. That's the only way I can describe it. It to is. See. It is. It is very painful, and and one of the issues is the feeling of powerlessness. <laughs> the pain comes from what can I really do in this circumstance because it seems so completely overwhelming. You know, at the root, we are talking about extreme <laughs> poverty. Yes. And that's where, when I say, you know, I don't know how aware we are, 
I don't know how aware we are. I don't know how how much people understand how there is poverty within a few miles of, well, what I can only describe as sometimes as excess and certainly Mm -hmm. as great wealth and great affluence. And this is true in Los Angeles County. And there's that contrast and there is the fact that, and as you said, you may be a little bit on the fringes, but I think if I ask people, most people find some sort of connection to this life, even if they want to turn away from it or they don't want to admit how close it is. Mm-hmm. And we're all part of it. And poverty is, in fact, and inequality is everybody's problem. And that's what's at the core of all of this. And it's so, so difficult. It truly is. It, it, it is difficult. And, and I know sometimes I've seen circumstances where, you know, an outsider might say, well, this person can get food stamps or welfare, whatever it is. Exactly. But if you don't have money for a bus and you're going to get your ID card that day and your bike was stolen, you have no way to get anything. Well, here's, you know? and here, here's the, other, the other part of this that I, I also discovered is that if you come out of prison and you have no way of making a living, you are going to, you're going to engage in some criminal behavior just to make a living because mm-hmm. all the other avenues are closed to you. Are closed, and yes. And that's another part of this that, that people do not understand. But if mm-hmm. you sat down and said to somebody, are you going to hire someone to work in your home who's been locked up in Chino or Folsom or San Quentin or Pelican Bay, and they're going to go, I'm never letting them in my house. That's right. I'm That's never going to hire true. them in my business. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So Where what do they, they do? going to go? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So and, it's, and, it's complicated in that way as well. It is complicated. Maybe we can talk about some of those additional issues as we come back from our next break. As we go to break, we'll hear a little bit of the old song, Color Him Father, and we'll be right back with my guest, Dr. Georgia Leap. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Are you happy with your financial life? Or are you like most people, underachieving with your income, working your tail off without the rewards you deserve? Are you going through a boom or bust cycle over and over again, hitting an inner set point? Perhaps you are struggling with the same old issues over and over again. Are your finances a source of peace or stress? Is your money the root of your problems or the path to your freedom and empowerment? If you answered yes to stress and problems, then it's time to ask yourself one more question. What else is possible? Sign up for Dr. Linda Sanicola's six-week Tapping into Wealth Coaching program by visiting drsanicola.com. This program is designed to help you break through your unconscious wealth set points and experience the true freedom, creativity, enthusiasm, and rewards you were meant to have. Get started today at drsanicola.com. That's drsanicola.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Be the Best You Can Be with Dr. Linda Sanicola. 
If you want more information about Dr. Sanicola or our program, please visit drsanicola.com. Again, that's drsanicola.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. We're speaking today with my guest, expert in violence and gangs and healing our communities, Dr. Georgia Leap. You know, let, let's talk a little bit, if we can, Dr. Leap. You know, we're sort of laying out the, the difficulties. What are, what are causes for hope? What gives us hope? I think there's a lot of causes for hope. First of all, um, we are in the midst of tremendous criminal justice reform because so much a part of the gang problem is the prison problem. And Mm -hmm. we're looking, in the past, we've looked at people that have been locked up for long periods of time because of mandatory minimums and also differential justice sort of allocated out to people of color. That is changing, and that is a tremendous cause for hope because it's one of the few issues that receives bipartisan support on both sides of the aisle at both a local, state, and national level. Even in Congress, there is a tremendous move for prison reform, and I think that gives us cause for hope. Mm -hmm. The second thing that gives us cause for hope is there is so much more information real, authentic, true information out about the gang problem, much different than even 10 years ago. And information is power. And the more that we know and understand about gangs, the more the entire situation, in fact, treating them, dealing with them, working with them, including understanding trauma and neuroscience, is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Third cause for hope is that Homeboy Industries is the leader in the field, but it is now not the only program. Homeboy has inspired an entire network. It calls the Homeboy Network. Mm-hmm. And there are other nonprofits that are zealously pursuing both prevention and intervention and reentry support for young gang members, for even older gang members who are trying to reenter mainstream society, so that you have programming that truly understands what gang members, both male and female, need, or programming that is beginning to understand that, especially when it comes to differences about sex and gender and sexuality. And finally, you have public policy that is beginning to understand that 16-year-old children do not deserve life without possibility of parole, that 16-year-old children do not know what they're doing and do not make a clear decision when they are part of gang violent activity, mm-hmm. and responds not punitively but rehabilitatively to their needs. And so do, we have, do we have systems to do that? I think, I'm so sorry, do we have the sense uh, to do that? No, no, do, well, maybe a sense, but do we have systems to do that? They're beginning to, to be created. There, you know, for okay. example, in California, there has, been, there has been the abolition of juvenile LWAP, juvenile life without the possibility of parole. It's mm-hmm. taking time, but there are people that have been sort of laboring in the vineyards of this for the past 10 to 15 years that we're finally seeing results in terms of legislation, in terms of public policy, in terms of political will, and in terms of knowledge. And it is a matter of not being, you know, tough on crime. It's a matter of being smart about crime. And Mm -hmm. that's what we really need to do. Mm -hmm. And we need to continue. That sounds like a good slogan, smart on crime, instead of, you know, either soft or tough or whatever it is. Can we be smart on crime? Right. And understanding some of these elements um, 
that really make it very difficult for people to, to survive or to manage, and then certainly coming out of prison, how challenging that is. I don't think we can fully appreciate the desperation that men and women emerging from incarceration and from prison, the desperation they experience, the limited circumstances they confront. I don't think we, I think it's one of those things like childbirth that you just Mm -hmm. have to go through it to understand it. Mm -hmm. And you can seek to describe what it's like coming out of prison, but unless you have sort of stood shoulder to shoulder with someone who has experienced that, it's impossible to understand. It really is. And I think that's oftentimes perhaps where the relationship issues come in, because I I may not understand from my personal experience, but if I'm willing to listen, uh, if I'm willing to make an effort to understand, those are the factors that can begin to form a relational foundation. Yes, it happened to me um, with one in the the men in my father's group, um, which is part of my second book project, Fatherhood. And this one father, Lily, came out of prison, wanted to be a good and responsible father, raise his children, wanted to make his way, worked within the group, wanted to mentor some of the young fathers in Watts, but he couldn't make a living, and he was arrested and convicted because he was dealing drugs. And when he finally came to me and told me what had occurred, and I said to him, why did you do this? And he looked at me and said, I couldn't find a job. Mm-hmm. And I had no response because I thought, what would I do if I couldn't mm-hmm. find a job? Right. I, I wouldn't want to work for a man who would prostitute me, so mm-hmm. I would become a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And in that mm-hmm. moment when he told me, and I knew Lily wanted to be a good father and wanted to be a contributing member of society, no one was giving him the pathway. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's back in prison, He and I am right now working with an attorney fighting for his early release. He's served mm-hmm. two years already. He has paid his debt to society. He's no threat. But when he comes out, he will need a job. He's going to have a job. And, right. and I think one of the pa- homeboys is one of those pathways, is it? Yes. But remember, homeboy can only take 250 people at a time. And when you consider how many people are in the state prison system, let alone jails, the the demand far exceeds the supply of physicians, and there's a huge problem as well. That is a huge problem. Wow. So and I, th- I think of Lily. For, for me, Lily became the story of someone who wanted to do the right thing, but simply could not. He couldn't. And, you know, really, if you've got mouths to feed, if you have mouths to feed, little ones to feed, you're going to do whatever it takes to feed those kids. Yes. You know, and, and whatever you, it is. When you reframe the story, if you say someone broke into a, someone shoplifted bread out of a supermarket because his children were at home starving, mm-hmm. you'd say, oh, what a good father. What mm-hmm. a caring father. Well, right. Lily sold prescription medication illegally to try to feed his family. And mm-hmm. someone could say, oh, it's not that simple. Yes, it is it that is. simple. And, it absolutely is that simple. Yeah. Those economic barriers are so much part of the story that mm-hmm. we're talking about that touches all of our lives. Because mm-hmm. crime costs money, and keeping people in prison costs money. And by the way, keeping someone in prison for a year costs a whole lot more money than having them in a program like Homeboy Industries 
for mm-hmm. a year. There's mm-hmm. no comparison. Homeboy costs twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year per person. Prison costs anywhere from eighty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. I'm not a math whiz, but I can tell you, <laughs> I'd rather spend the twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year with the hope of really rehabilitating somebody, not turning out someone who's been through prison graduate school and emerges mm-hmm. with more criminal behaviors within them, along with the trauma they encounter from incarceration. Yes. Wow. It, it, that does offer hope, you know. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit, uh, if we can talk for a couple of minutes, about Project <laughs> Fatherhood and the idea of community healing that that brings. Well, Project Fatherhood is really an extraordinary program that was developed through Children's Institute and Dr. Herschel Swinger in Los Angeles. And and Dr. Swinger passed away a few years ago. But his vision was that if you strengthened fathers, you strengthened families and communities. Now, this got translated into a very interesting form in Watts, where one of these groups was created, and it was created by former gang members, uh, Mike Elder Mike Cummings, Andre Christian, Johnny Bailey. There was a whole handful of these former gang members who had already been meeting with young fathers and advising them and talking to them. And CII and Herschel Swinger came in and said, we're going to put some resources into this. Not a lot, but enough to buy them in dinner once a week so they could sit around the table and talk about their problems. And what emerged was nothing short of extraordinary. Right there in Watts, these were all men who had been incarcerated, some of them for very long periods of time, one of them, I believe, for 32 years at San Quentin. And they had all served prison time and all eight, 10, 12-year stretches. They came out and they wanted to be fathers to their children and they didn't know how. And they kept saying, we never had fathers in our own lives. How do we know how to be a father? We've never seen one. We don't have a role model. And they literally, and here's the relationship, they fathered one another. And as part of this, they not only learned how to be fathers to their own children, but they also sought to heal the community they had once tried to destroy. Mm -hmm. And they tried to be fathers, and they continue to be fathers to the children in the community whose own fathers are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's got this relational base, but it's really quite powerful and has been a meaningful part of community change. You know, I just have to say that sounds so beautiful and so powerful, but I, I realized, you know, I started by asking you, do you sleep? <laughs> and yeah. and, um, yeah. and it, as you describe this, it's got to be energizing. I thought, you know, th- this is your purpose, truly, and that's got to be energizing. It is energizing, and I will tell you, sometimes when I'm working on different sort of research projects during the day and teaching at UCLA, and then I go to Project Fatherhood, which meets at 5 o'clock, I'm dragging, and there's usually traffic to fight, and I get there, and I think, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, I'm worn out. And when I leave two hours later, literally I'll go home, and and my husband or my daughter will say to me, you look so happy. And it Mm -hmm. is because, once again, they have taught me, and I Mm -hmm. learn from them. And that's not to say they don't drive me crazy. There's times that the group just goes down a pathway, and I think, I'm going to blow my brains out. But it's all... 
endlessly interesting to me. Yeah. Endlessly. It, it, it and certainly sounds like it. That's it, it, really a wonderful, wonderful story. And we need to take one more quick break. So Great. we'll be right back with my guest, Dr. Georgia Leap. up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you happy with your financial life or are you like most people, underachieving with your income, working your tail off without the rewards you deserve? Are you going through a boom or bust cycle over and over again, hitting an inner set point? Perhaps you are struggling with the same old issues over and over again. Are your finances a source of peace or stress? Is your money the root of your problems or the path to your freedom and empowerment? If you answered yes to stress and problems, then it's time to ask yourself one more question. What else is possible? Sign up for Dr. Linda Sanicola's six-week Tapping into Wealth Coaching program by visiting drsanicola.com. This program is designed to help you break through your unconscious wealth set points and experience the true freedom, creativity, enthusiasm, and rewards you were meant to have. Get started today at drsanicola.com. That's drsanicola.com. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned in to Be the Best You Can Be with Dr. Linda Sanicola. If you want more information about Dr. Sanicola or our program, please visit drsanicola.com. Again, that's drsanicola.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. We are speaking today with my guest, Dr. Georgia Leap, who is an expert on gangs, violence, and I'm going to add healing and hope to that area of expertise. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, first of all, I want to start by thanking you for your time and knowledge and wisdom that you shared with us today. I mean, it's just an incredible amount of information. And as I say, wisdom, there's there's just a, a real depth of experience there that I appreciate so much. And I know you're traveling, so the fact that you could make time for us when you're traveling means even more so. Thank you. I'm honored to be on the show, and I'm so happy to be able to talk about this and share what my experiences have been. So thank you so much. It's my privilege, and I know you, you've written two books, and there's a third one on the way. Can you tell us the title of your first two books so everyone knows what they are and then where they can purchase those books? Yes, I'm very happy to. The first book, as we talked about a little bit earlier, is called Jumped In, What Gangs Taught Me About Violence, Drugs, Love, and Redemption. And all the proceeds do go to Homeboy Industries. It goes to a wonderful cause. And it is available anytime, anywhere, on online at Amazon.com, at Barnes & Noble. It's also at bookstores. Um, it was published four years ago, so it's sometimes a little bit hard to find in bookstores, mm-hmm. although it is a perennial. But mm-hmm. it is readily available online through any number of services, whether you go to an independent bookstore with an online presence or, you know, to the big 
the 900-pound gorilla that is Amazon Books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, my second book, which is more recent and is available literally in bookstores everywhere as well as online at Amazon and others, <clears throat> is called Project Fatherhood, a story of courage and, and healing in one of America's toughest communities. Just like my first book, and this will always be true, all of the proceeds from that book go to Project Fatherhood in Watts so that the fathers can benefit from this directly. Mm -hmm. And that can be found just about anywhere, anytime that you might want to buy it. And I I would urge people to buy them because they do support good causes and they are stories about the realities of life in marginalized communities with gang and non-gang members and mothers and fathers and children. And if people want to learn more about your work in particular, is there a way that they can follow your work or get in touch with you or anything of that nature? Oh, yes, it would be wonderful. And I will caution people. um, My mother was ingenious, so she spelled my first name in a strange way, J-O-R-J-A. But if you look up Georgia Leap, I do have a website, georgialeap.com, oh, okay. and I am also at UCLA, where you can find me at the Luskin School of Public Affairs on their website as well. So um, it's easy to track me down. I'm not hiding anywhere. Great, great. And, you know, do you ever uh, speak to the general public? Yes, and you know? UCLA is very supportive, and I do have resources that allow me to travel, and I am available to speak. Um, but I'm laughing at your previous question of whether or not I sleep. Sometimes <laughs> it's on airplanes, shall I say, I, but yes. I would I do, imagine. Yeah. I do like to speak, and I do like to share the work, and sometimes I'll bring either active or former gang members along with me. So, yes, I very much am engaged in public education. Great, great. You know, I I know I have a whole page of questions left that I would want to talk to you about. But in the time we have remaining, I'd like to ask you about your next book, which is on women and gangs. Is that, did I get that right? Yes, it's sort of an area that hasn't really been explored. And I'm very interested, as I said earlier, in bearing witness to these lives, in finding out what happens to women that have been gang-involved, and not just as significant others or baby mamas or whatever they might label themselves, not just as the girlfriends or wives of gang members, but who have actually been gang members themselves, what they've gone through, what they've encountered in prison, what has happened to them in terms of trauma, and how do they rebuild their lives. And there are a lot of stories that have not yet been told, including there's a growing number of lesbians um, who Mm. have become involved in gang life, and they have a particular story and a particular experience that has not been examined. So for all of these reasons and even more, that's the next book I am working on, literally, as we speak. And uh, what do you have a title, or do you just have a working title? No, it'll kind of come. Actually, the title comes to me at the end. That the, oh, it's okay. sort of like giving birth, and then you decide what to name the child. At least that's oh, how I. Uh-huh. I that's uh, how you. Okay. Of it, no pun intended. Uh-huh. And I really, uh, it, it's sort of delivered at the end. So we'll see what happens. Okay, we'll see what what's birthed, and then right. you know, the name will come to you. Okay, that's great. it. Okay, um, what. What would you like to close with today in terms of what do you think we all need to know about what you've learned and what your work is? I think what we all need to know is that there are no differences. 
that the barriers and stereotypes that we erect in our minds are not the truth. And the only truth can be found in the attachments we make and the relationships that we build. That's true of gangs. That's true of trauma. That's true of how we heal all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And that that makes me wonder, you know, we were talking about your early work as an MSW in Watts and, and Los Angeles. Did you have a mentor? You know, I had somebody who was sort of a mentor and a godfather, and it was somebody who had been a social worker himself in, um, in Harlem. Um, and it's a man who's now 93 years old and still alive and well. I talk about him in both my books, and his name is Dr. Joseph Rosner. I'd like to tell you he's retired, but he'll never retire. And he's the person Mm -hmm. who sort of taught me what I needed to know. Yeah, because I I was thinking, you know, you you did difficult work. And early on, you must not have had much of a network from which to operate. And and so my guess is that it took a lot of strength, a lot of courage. And I was, as you were talking, I was hoping there was somebody behind you. So. There was. He he very much fulfilled that role as a as I said, as a godfather, as a mentor, as a source of support. And I think for me over the past um thirteen years my husband and my daughter have sustained me. I think that's why instead of sleep, they're sort of my go to and mm. they help me. And I think when we all do this work, all of us need something that gives to us so that we can understand and also listen to others. That's true. That's certainly true. And I know recently I had an experience where I met with someone who could very well have wound up working with you instead of with me. And the situation was so challenging and so hopeless for her at that moment. It subsequently improved, but at that moment, that after I met with her, I went to to look for somebody who could... Uh, who I could feel a connection with and who I could talk about the issues with because it was so painful. And we all need to seek, we can't be afraid to seek out that kind of support. I applaud you for doing that. It's what I believe in as well. And it's what we should all do. We all need that support. It's so true. It's so true. And it comes back, as you've been talking about today, relationships. So once again, I I really want to thank you for your time today and for sharing this, this wisdom with us. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. The hour has just flown by. I know. You're going to have to come back and, and talk to us some more about that next book. Fantastic. It's, it's a commitment, I promise. Great. Uh, uh, wonderful. I'll look forward to it. And I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope that you will all tune in next week when my guest is Lauren Mackler, coach, psychotherapist, and media commentator for CNN and Fox, and we'll be discussing her new book, Soulmate, How to Master the Art of Aloneness and Transform Your Life. And that soulmate is spelled S-O-L-E-M-A-T-E, a little different uh, version of that. And please also visit and like my show Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Dr. Linda Sanicola. I leave you today with the words of Marcel Proust. Let us be grateful to people who make us happy. They are the charming gardeners who make our souls blossom. Thanks for listening. See you all next week.
Thank you for listening. Be the best you can be with Dr. Linda Sanicola can be heard each Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope to have you join us again next week. We'll be right back.